Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Farmers rarely get a break. To operate a farm is a 24-7, 365 job. Besides running their operations, The men and women who provide us with our food each day also spend time lobbying politicians at all levels of government. On today's show, Northumberland Federation of Agriculture President Alan Carruthers outlines some of the challenges local farmers are facing. He will talk about the carbon tax, legislation stalled in the Senate, and local efforts to keep good agricultural lands in Northumberland County out of the hands of developers. If you ate today, then you will want to hear this interview. I'm so pleased to have with me today Northumberland Federation of Agriculture President Alan Carruthers. Welcome to Consider This Northumberland. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. Before we get to our interview, I wanted to express my condolences on the recent passing of Sid Atkinson. He was a former president of the Northumberland Federation of Agriculture and a longtime board member. He was a leader in the agricultural community and a friend to many it's a really great loss for the farming community. Is there anything you'd like to add? Um, you know, I, I, Sid was, when the passing of Sid, you know, in early December, um, you know, he did leave a huge hole in Northumberland County and across the province because he was he was part of the Dairy Farmers of Ontario. And I, I've known Sid, you know, for, for many years. Um, you know, Sid... Sid's picture and stuff in the paper showed ha- having hair, and I remember Sid when he was a young young boy and he had hair. Um, Sid's Sid's sisters and and brothers, I all I I, I knew them, um, but Sid Sid was very unique. He <clears throat> he was a type of person that that uh, he wasn't afraid to ask questions. He wasn't afraid to say his opinion, and he was well respected for that. He was well-respected, so. Truly a great loss. Now let's go on to our interview. How would you characterize the past year for farmers in Northumberland? Well, this past year in Northumberland, you know, uh, we've had a lot of challenges. Um, You know, we were were working on... um, some of the implications that the federal government had had put in place, they took a, a um, and imposed a fertilizer tariff over a year ago, and uh, of course that was a, a a federal hit for all the farmers in Canada. Uh, thirty three to thirty four million dollars was was uh, uh, added to the cost of our production through that tariff, and. They, the Federation of Agriculture, I think believe I believe Canadian Federation of Agriculture and Ontario Federation of Agriculture uh, um, tried to get it back a little bit easier. They finally 
Uh, finally, in the one of the last budgets, they uh, put in the uh, um, climate action uh, fund change, and we could we could uh, gear some of our solutions uh, in properly placing fertilizer. But there's I haven't heard of any anybody utilizing that program yet. So, you know, the the federal government has has uh, been pushing the carbon tax, and of course. Robert, you probably hear a lot about the carbon tax just about everywhere, but in production of food for everybody, that carbon tax, every time a, a piece of equipment moves that either brings our seed, our fertilizer, our chemicals, uh, there's a carbon tax on that. There's carbon tax when the farm machinery gets to the field. And then, you know, when the harvest comes, there's the carbon tax is implemented again. And then when uh, we dry the crops, we've got no other, we've got no other avenue to uh, dry grain efficiently, um, other than using fossil fuels, natural gas, propane, and and then of course when that crop gets sold and taken to the processor, carbon tax is implemented on it again, and then when the processing is done, the carbon tax is put on the fuel that delivers it to the grocery store. So people don't realize how expensive um, carbon tax has come. We can't, as farmers, we can't pass that on. It's part of our um, part of our everyday expenses. But that carbon tax is getting passed on to you very quietly and very, uh, you know, in every invoice and stuff you pay, it's there. Uh, it's not shown, but it's there. So, uh, you know, the, 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 this carbon tax, for lack of a better opinion, it's, it, it's trying to um, help pay for some careless spending that the federal government is doing. And I, and I, I, I can't say it any easier, really. Two things out of what you've just said. One is, I, it's my understanding there has been two attempts to pass legislation federally to help farmers with uh, costs associated with drying crops. Yes. What's the status of that right now? Because I know farmers are very frustrated uh, that it, before the election the last time, it was almost through and then it got reintroduced and it, it still hasn't passed. What's the status now? So so the first time was Philip Lawrence brought it to, uh, to uh, the, uh, through the House of Commons and uh, he, he, uh, he had it in there, and of course, the election was called, and it failed or or fell off the table. So the next, there was a private members bill again, um, and it it got voted on at the House of Commons, and then went to the Senate, and they had some amendments brought in. One was that they they wanted to uh, uh, keep fossil fuels on drying grain, and they also wanted to have have uh, farmers the, the other the other amendment was farmers had to pay for heating on the for heating of their barns so you know livestock producers like poultry um you know young young uh, young livestock whether it be calves or pigs uh they have to have you know some extra heat and stuff in there to keep them warm especially when it's cold so the the federal government um kept stalling it on doing doing their election process 
And then I believe it was in early November, uh, the federal government, the liberals, put in some more liberal senators to make sure that they could offset the uh, offset the vote. And um, we listened to Senator Rob Black at the Ontario Federation of Agriculture Convention in November. And and Rob, Senator Black is is well respected, you know, right across Canada, you know, with with all parties. And he was talking about all the all the issues that were to deal with with putting the or having the vote go through the Senate. So, uh, anyways, Senator Rob Black was invited to go to the climate conference, and they voted voted the one amendment for the for the uh, heating the barns, and it got passed. That part had got passed, or, or sorry, maybe it was sorry it was defeated. But anyways, that that kind of threw a lot of that uh, work that the the Ontario farmers and the Canadian farmers had put in for for keeping fossil fuels out for heating barns and and uh, it's still it's still in the still in the Senate uh, waiting for the total the total vote on it. But it's it's very depressing to see that go on, and the it's just a it, it's this carbon tax. A lack of a better term, it's it's a way that the federal government has been able to help pay for a lot of their uh, uh, crazy, crazy spending. Well, I, I wanted to ask about that because my understanding is, is that the carbon tax is collected, but then it's supposed to be paid back to us in these checks that they keep sending us. Now, do you not receive checks from the government uh, that are related no. to this? No, so not, not, uh, not as a carbon tax, uh, carbon tax credits. So um, when I get a bill for propane to dry my grain, it's just going to say $4,000 $4, bill to, to pay the propane. The HST is in there, but the HST is put on after the carbon tax is put in. And I, and I don't have a, a, an invoice close to me, but I think it's like 10 or 12 or 14 cents a liter. And... Um, so that is added in. So if I have 4,000 4, liters of, of propane, you know, if it was $12, it would be four, $480 worth of carbon tax. And the fuel plus the carbon tax is, um, the HST is added on to both those totals. And your HST is, your HST is refundable for a uh, for an expense on your drying of your grain so it, it it's a it's a very frustrating thing to see dollars put on and we we absorb that we're not we we don't have a um we don't have a way to say robert here's an extra 480 dollars you're going to have to pay and stuff a for our grain it's it's a cost and stuff that we have to incur and stuff in our business it sounds like it's very different than what i experience at the pump when i go and i of course i there's the, the i pay the extra money uh at the at the pump but then i get the checks right a couple times a year i get a check of a rebate which is actually yeah. more than what i pay so you don't experience that at all that's what you're saying no like in our in our income tax and stuff we could probably um play with it and to to get a climate tax uh rebate but it might go towards sealing windows in your house. Um, and right now there's no, there hasn't been a solution brought for 
um, Canadian farmers for, for carbon and for carbon tax. And, and this is the frustrating part um, with with dealing with this. They are penalizing, federal government is penalizing us for carbon tax, but they've got no solutions, uh, no no ready solutions to, to put in place, at least not yet anyways. I'd like to move on. Earlier this year, the Northumberland Federation of Agriculture was part of a forum looking at the preservation of farmland in Northumberland. Now, there are many pressures, especially from developers and provincial government to meet the demands for affordable housing. What, if anything, has changed since that forum? And could you bring us up to date on what's been happening locally around that issue? So the the protection of the of the farmland, you know, from from development, like with the the meeting we had the end of July uh, at the Best Western, it was well received. There was lots of people that that expressed interest in how they could help. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> so the the provincial government had brought in the uh, um, build homes faster, and there was lots of holes in the in the uh, way it was presented every parcel land could have possibly three severances and the ontario federation of agriculture has got a homegrown campaign to try to protect farmland and or make it more aware to to you and me and and my cousins and and relatives whatever you know across the province that um every day 320 acres of of land is is being lost to development so the 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 knowledge that was gained through there like the the liberal critic uh stephanie bowman she was there uh eric gillespie was there he talked about how things how things were some of those things have been uh some of the pressures have been eased you know the 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 provincial government has realized that that the there was too much stuff going so they pulled back on the uh, three severances per per parcel um, it's still out there. Um, there's still a lot of people that feel their land is developable. But Robert, you and I have to to eat three times a day. And a lot of people rely on locally grown food, um, reasonably priced, you know, affordable food. And if you have to have your food trucked in from United States, China, Asia, Europe, that co- that food isn't going to be as cheap as it as as it's being grown here in Ontario. So, the the frustrating part of it is is there's a lot of development, there's a lot of land that can be developed. Um, we're trying to change the municipal politicians and the provincial politicians, and now the federal government is ge- is getting into the housing problem, but we're we're looking to intensify the development so don't take a hundred acre parcel and put a hundred houses on it put it put it in a in a way and stuff a that those houses go up and 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 the development for houses and stuff goes up and and not out your infrastructure is is there if it's you know if it's in place your natural gas is there you know uh, if a municipality has got their their sewer and water all set stuff it's a lot easier to have everything set up that you know 100 homes could go into a a couple of outlets compared to you know having to put in 100 outlets across a 100 acre field so uh, 
and, and we're trying to push the municipalities or try to steer them towards staying in the hamlets because there's a lot of land that could be developed or utilized for housing and or jobs in in a in a in a municipal boundary it's interesting when you're talking about this are you getting any traction though i mean it's great that you're talking to people and and trying hard but i was just talking to uh, someone the other day and they they know of a farmer that's leasing land out roseneath way and uh, they just got notice uh, in the new year that uh, the owner had passed away and the, the family now wants to sell the farm for development. I mean, yep. this is the kinds of pressures, I guess, that we're seeing there. Are you getting traction with your appeals? Are people listening, especially at the local level? The, I would say for the most part, they are listening, but there's always there's always that one, one problem and stuff eh, that you kind of lose. You think you've lost five steps. You know, you've gained 10 and 10 and you lost five or you lost eight, you know, so we're, we're still it's going to be a constant battle. Um, you know, we're less than one percent of the actual politics, uh, the population in Canada now, and we have to feed 100 percent of the people. So and in in southern Ontario. Five percent of the land in southern Ontario was able to grow food, but that five percent is also vying for houses, businesses being built, and and highways being built. And whenever there's a chunk of land lost, it it's it's very unfortunate. And the the costs, nobody really sees the cost um, right away. It it becomes quite expensive after a few years. A professor at Western University, Richard Bloomfield said recently, and I'm quoting him here now, Canada's current agricultural production model is unsustainable and in desperate need of reform. End of the quote. What is your reaction to that statement? Well, the the production, yes. We, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to assume that, that, and I haven't heard that, I haven't heard that quote, but the production part of it is, is we can't, um, we can't go keep going at the rate that we are doing and being able to feed uh, feed the people in the country. Um, you know, there sure there are some uh, um, inroads that are being made with with modifications in in harvesting, in drying, in growing the crops. You know, I know that the fertilizer industry is is looking at uh, using. Um, nitrogen inhibitors and stuff eh, to, to help the, the fertilizer be utilized better in the in the crops but everything there's a lot of negatives um you know the the federal government seems to give us the most negatives there are trends elsewhere in canada where we're seeing more and more farms going over to large corporations where it's in the hands of non-farmers and foreign owners is this a trend taking place in northumberland yeah, there is there is some uh, there is some foreign ownership coming into Northumberland County. There's been there's been some land sold in in both Hamilton and Hope to, and Port Hope uh, that have gone to to uh, um, an Asian group. They are you know they are growing vegetables and food and stuff for the for their for their country. Um, I know that the the vegetables get sh shipped to Toronto, but I don't know if they get dispersed 
in Toronto or if they're shipped overseas. I know that when when you were growing up, you know, your your father, your grandfather had a small mixed farm. And as as the depression came and then as of the second world world war came, you know, the 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 farm boys and stuff, hey, they went overseas to to serve to fight fight in the second world war. A lot of those a lot of those boys didn't come home. So there was there was a move and it started probably even after the First World War. There was a move to to mechanize the farm, get it bigger. And and after a while, the 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 farm families weren't as large. So, you know, number one son decided he might go and get a job in the city, get a higher paid job. Number two son might want to stay home. Uh, number one daughter might marry a, a, a guy across the fence or she might get a job in Toronto. So the families families started seeing a lot of of exporting of their their family members to the city or, or large towns. So you have fewer and fewer people, want, fewer and fewer farmers uh, able to farm land. And, you know, let's say John Smith, he had no kids and he farmed until he was 85 and he decided he's going to sell the farm. So, uh, and this if is, the if the foreign workers come to, or foreign buyers come, they'll they'll buy the buy it. Th this is really significant because I was reading that the aging of farmers and the shrinking number of farmers or people going into farming is a really critical problem, like you just described. So, what's being done locally to ensure our farming population remains strong? Is there anything going on that's that's trying to help? keep people on the farm um a lot of a lot of bigger farms you know family farms will maybe purchase some more land you know of a farmer may be retiring um there really isn't there really isn't much to uh, of an incentive to keep the the family there it's it's the will i guess that that the 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 farm family would like to continue on you know, like my my grandfather, my great grandfather, my grandfather bought the property at the east east of Coburg. They had moved from a, a, a family farm that where the Canadian Tire was in Coburg, and it got sold in the in the nineteen teens. Um, they moved to the farm where where my where my father was born, and uh, I'm the next generation. And then my son, he's he's quite interested in farming, and I hope that you know maybe. Someday my grandchildren are so. Uh, it 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 seems to be if you've got some interest in helping grow the crop, you know, feed the animals, and they they like it, they'll probably stay. The education part is a costly thing because you know we've had schools close over the last 25, 30 years, agricultural schools. So Guelph, Guelph is the is the go to place now for for education for for agriculture and you either take a degree course in Guelph or you take the diploma course that's in Ridgetown because Kempville was closed 12 or 13 years ago. So, uh, you know, Ridgetown is, is three and a half, almost four hours away from here. It's interesting because there is some talk in agricultural circles uh, about the underlying assumptions regarding large scale operations aimed at exporting as being too predominant. And there's a need to return to smaller operations. It is a move away from, I guess, bigger and better thinking, 
What do you think about that as an approach? Do we need smaller farms back to the family farm? There's a lot of people that are very passionate about that. You know, there are people that, that, you know, they've, they've made a decent income and they like to buy, you know, 25 or 30 acres. It's got an old barn on it and have a few cows and a few pigs and chickens. And, and, and there's kudos to that. Like I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm impressed and that they're doing that. Um, but it's, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of restrictions for that because you have noise bylaws, smell bylaws, you know, a lot of people don't want to hear a, a rooster crowing in the, in the early morning. They want to sleep till nine or 10, you know, and, and of course with livestock, you have manure and in the summertime you have a lot of bugs and a lot of people don't like bugs. So, uh, yeah. There was a report released back in April of last year done by the University of Guelph, RBC, and Boston Consulting Group. It called for a national policy strategy to transform the agriculture sector by enhancing automation and adopt a low-carbon, sustainable food production model. What do you think about that? Well, low-carbon low, low carbon emission, yes. That that's probably it's probably a good thing because we've got a lot more pressures and stuff for for that. Um, our carbon footprint when it comes to uh, locally grown food makes sense because lo, lo, the, the your carbon footprint and stuff. If you get locally grown food, you're not having to spend a lot of extra money on fuel to go pick it up or or have it delivered. Um, it makes a lot of sense to have, grow your food, have have uh, food security, and and affordable food, you know, for the for the local people. So, uh, I haven't heard, I haven't seen very much of that, um, but yes, it's it, it it makes a lot of sense. We've <clears throat> talked a bit about in our conversation about what you want to see more done around, both provincially, federally, and municipally. If you were a teacher and you were giving out grades. What grades would you give the federal government, the provincial government, and the local governments for the work that they're doing to help farmers? I would give the the local governments a pretty good pretty good mark. Um, the provincial government, you know, the for the most part, the provincial government has been good for a lot of things. You know, with with Doug Ford getting in. He at first he listened a lot better than the, the previous government. The federal government, I would tell them they might have to repeat the year um, because it's not you know they're they're not uh, getting a passing grade. What should we be looking for in terms of trends for farming in Northumberland County in twenty twenty four? More more precision farming. Um, Placing placing that fertilizer closer to the plant, uh, more more uh, precision when it comes to planting, not having not having doubled up seeds. Uh, the cost of seed is is becoming is becoming higher because of a lot of other costs. Um, alternative alternative fuels are, are are being experimented with, but not enough. Because you know, when it comes to drying grains or heating our barns, fossil fuels is is about the easiest way to do it. There aren't big enough um, heat pumps to take uh, 
take heat out and of course our electrical infrastructure isn't uh, isn't strong enough to support all this electrical vehicles there's more and more uh agricultural vehicles that are that are utilizing electrical uh, um electrical power um that's that's a, still a concern because you know as there's more need for electrical vehicles whether it be tractors combines cars or pickups um there's the need and stuff for the energy to uh to recharge them and i don't think that the electrical infrastructure is is strong enough for that at least not in not in this area i know that they're bringing in electrical vehicle uh charging places and stuff hey eh? and i know that there are concerns and stuff even with how to deal with with the uh, expired batteries that that go with with the cars and the trucks so not not as much as the cars yet but you know a lot of the uh, rechargeable batteries that are for for uh, power tools um scooters bikes so Alan Crothers thank you so much for talking to me today thank you Robert that was Northumberland Federation of Agriculture President Alan Carruthers. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.